Good morning, Mercy Hill family. How's everyone doing this morning? So good to see you guys here uh, with us and then also at home virtually watching. So good to see you guys here with us today uh, on this beautiful Sunday morning uh, and have an opportunity to uh, come together as a body and worship together. Uh, what we like to do at Mercy Hill is to get our hearts ready. We like to read from Scripture. And so I'm going to ask that you stand with me as I read our call to worship today. This comes from Psalm 63, 1 through 3. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water, so I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. Pray with me. Father, it is so wonderful to be able to come together as family, Lord, uh, to just be together uh, and covered by you. Lord, just open our hearts as we lift your name up, for you are so very worthy of our praises. Remind us, Lord, of your mercy and your grace on us. Lord, as we listen to your words today in the sermon, let us stir us to action in this troubled time. Father, again, we are humbled to be here before you. Be with us now as we praise your name in your son's name we pray. Amen. of heaven God 
First reading this morning comes from the book of Mark, chapter 14, verse 38. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak.
our Father who in heaven reigns. How great and mighty is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Now here on earth as is above. Oh, give to us our daily bread. And keep our hungry spirits fed. May all our satisfaction be. grace has set us free. Give us hope, give us strength, help us trust in your guidance. From the depths of your grace you have richly provided. Thank you, thank you, Father, you are all we and 
All right, let's pray. Uh, dear Lord, uh, thank you for your power and your um, promises that you made. And Lord, uh, I pray that you open our hearts so we could dwell in your promises and we could dwell in your word and uh, open our ears to what um, the word you give Nathan and open up his heart and help him to clearly display your glory, Lord. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Good morning. I want to welcome you here this morning. If you're a visitor with, with us today, my name is Nate, one of the pastors here, and we are in the book of Luke. We've been walking through the book of Luke. We are in chapter 22, so go ahead and open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 22. We're going to be starting in verse 39. Jesus is in the calm before the storm here. Uh, this is the Garden of Gethsemane. Everything's been set in motion. Judas is already talking to the Sanhedrin, getting ready to betray him. They're about to arrest him, and the disciples still don't quite see what's about to happen, but Jesus knows what's coming. And in this passage, we're going to see him agonize over it. This is probably one of the most solemn passages in all of Scripture. In this passage, we get a glimpse of the humanity of Jesus. We get a glimpse of what it meant for him to bear our sins. And in his agony, we also get an amazing example of what or how we ought to pray and the attitude by which we should pray, especially when we're going through trials, when we're in the midst of turmoil like he was. And so I want to bow one more time. Let's pray that God would help us be formed into his image. Father, we desperately need you right now to open the eyes of our hearts to understand and give us just a glimpse of what it was like for you in the garden as you sweat blood anticipating the wrath of God. I pray that it would move us to worship you and to, to long to be like you, that you would teach us to pray in the midst of our trials, to trust you no matter what the cost, and that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, pick up with me in verse 39. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, 
saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise, pray that you may not enter into temptation. I want to take a look at four specific attitudes that I see in this text that Jesus had in his prayer. I think it's a great example for us, but more than that, I want, as we walk through this passage, I want us to, to see and even feel just a, a taste, just a fraction of what he felt while he was experiencing this, as he peered into the cup of God's wrath. If you're taking notes, the four attitudes that I want to point out are that he was focused, he was consistent, he was real, and he was submissive. He was focused, consistent, real, and submissive. Let's start with focus. Notice that Jesus withdrew from his disciples to pray. This is something that he did often. Back in Luke chapter 5, we saw when the crowds got big, what did he do? He went to a, a desolate place to be by himself to pray. Again, in the next chapter, Luke chapter 6, before he makes a big decision, before he calls, handpicks his 12 disciples, he goes up to the mountain to be by himself and he prays all night long. And so before big decisions, before he encounters significant trials, we see Jesus getting alone by himself. He wants no distractions. He wants to be able to focus completely on the important task of prayer. I would encourage you to find your own prayer garden. Now, it may not literally be a garden. If I, if, in fact, if I was in a garden, I'd probably be distracted because of the bugs. But you need to find some place where you can get alone, undistracted, and connect with God. We've talked about this a lot before. Uh, maybe this for you, if you've got kids especially, you need to set your alarm and get up before the noise. Uh, maybe for you, this is a, a chair or a spot in your house. Maybe this is a room or an office. Maybe this for you, it's your bathroom. Maybe it's your car before you go to work. Maybe it's a, a bench. Maybe you can uh, repurpose or convert your shed into a prayer room. But you need to find some place where you can get alone and connect with God, a place where you can speak out loud to God, a place where you can be real and raw with God. Jesus had a prayer garden, and he went to it often. That's our second point here. He was consistent. Notice that it was his custom. It was the custom of Jesus to go to the Mount of Olives in the evening. This may have been where Jesus and the disciples were staying while they were in Jerusalem. This is probably how Judas knew where to find Jesus when he betrayed him. Luke is implying here that it was his custom to go and pray in the evenings. Martin Luther, the great reformer, great man of prayer, he said, As it is the business of a tailor to make clothes and the cobbler to mend shoes, so it is the business of Christians to pray. When you think of 
prayer warriors or people who prayed consistently in the Bible, what comes to your mind? I think the first one that pops into my mind is Daniel, right, who prayed three times a day to God like clockwork no matter what the cost. Or I think of the, the, the disciples in Acts chapter 2, after Pentecost, they began to devote themselves to prayer consistently. The Apostle Paul teaching the churches to pray without ceasing. In today's passage, twice Jesus encourages his own disciples to pray that they would not enter into temptation. When he comes back and they're sleeping, he says, rise up. And in Matthew's gospel, he says uh, to them, that watch or, or be alert and pray. For the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so Jesus, again, is trying to, he's trying to teach them that you're, your good intentions are, are never enough. We need to have consistent dependency upon God in prayer. We shouldn't expect to have the ability to avoid falling into temptation if we fail to be vigilant and consistent in prayer. And you see the contrast between Jesus and the disciples here too. Jesus who stays up all night, continues consistently in prayer, is able to resist temptation and he he stays faithful. Unlike the disciples who fall asleep, they fail to pray, and in the end, they end up deserting Jesus, and Peter even denies he even knows Jesus. And so I've been wrestling this week. Is why, don't we, why is it such a hard thing for us to pray consistently? And I recognize, I mean, we live in a fallen world. We're fallen people. There's sin. There's pride in our lives. And so it's going to be a struggle until the day we die or Christ comes back. But I think often we, we use these excuses and we say things like, okay, well, it's because I'm just not disciplined, I'm not, I'm not setting aside the time, uh, I, or, or we say things like, um, you know, it might just be doubt in my, in my own heart. We, we may not say that publicly, but if we're real with and honest with God, it, it, doubt does play a factor. Sometimes it's a, we just don't see the need. Life is good, life seems manageable. I see this in my own life, right, uh, at times, not so much right now, but um, there, there are times in my life where things are good and my prayer life just wanes because of that. But as I thought about it, and this is what God is teaching me right now, ultimately, when we fail to pray, I think it shows that we think too highly of ourselves and we think too little of God. The greatest barrier, I think, to consistent prayer life is a lack of a present awareness of our own weakness and the greatness of God in the gospel. And the less we think about how great God is and how amazing His grace is, the less we're going to run to Him and depend upon Him. This is what I've been, I've been learning. It's, it's, if you want a consistent prayer life, it starts by you recognizing your own weakness and meditating on the greatness of God. This is why I've heard this from... Other more mature Christians have been Christians for a long time. That The longer you're a Christian, the more time you spend in the Psalms. Uh, and I've noticed that in my own life too. Because what you have in the Psalms, many of them are written by David. They're songs, they're hymns, but they're also prayers that David is just pouring out his heart and admitting his weakness and, and he's meditating on the greatness of God. In the call to worship this morning, you heard Perry read Psalm 63, 1 and 2. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. Because of your steadfast love, it's better than life. My lips will praise you. 
And so the more we meditate on the glory of God, the more time we're going to spend with Him, the more we're going to thirst for Him. And this is when prayer becomes less about checking something off your to-do list and more about communing with God. It becomes a relationship with Him. This is when prayer, without ceasing, turns from a burden or from a chore into something we want, something that's fruitful, something that we enjoy. Eventually, the disciples would get it. Uh, we see in the New Testament, Acts chapter 1, 14, these with all, all one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer. Acts 2, 42, again, they were continually devoting themselves to prayer. Acts 6, 4, the apostles said that they would devote themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. Paul continued to teach the churches that, that they needed to pray. Uh, Romans 12, 12, rejoice in hope, persevering in tribulation, being devoted to prayer. Ephesians 6, 18, pray at all times in the spirit with all perseverance. Colossians 4, 2, continue steadfast in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Charles Spurgeon once said, a man scarcely needs to be reminded that he must breathe. It is essential to his very life that he should breathe. And it is essential to our spiritual life that we should pray. I never thought it necessary to prepare a discourse to exhort you to eat. Neither ought it to be necessary to exhort Christians to pray. It should be to you an instinct of your new nature, as natural to you your spiritual being as a good appetite is to a man in health. There should be a holy hunger and a thirst to pray. And the soul never prays so well as when it is reminded, not by the hour of the day or the night, but by its real needs. And when it resorts to its place of private prayer, not because it thinks it ought but because it feel, feels that it must and shall and will go there and is delighted at the privilege of having communion with his God. Also, I want you to notice in this passage that Jesus is not fake. He doesn't spout out a bunch of religious platitudes here. Uh, this is our third point this morning is that Jesus is real. He's, he's raw here. He doesn't pray, oh God, you're amazing, and I know this is going to sting a little bit, but you're going to get me through it. No, in agony, he's sweating blood. He's crying out to his Father. If there's any other way, if there's anything else that we can do, if, there, if you're willing, I know you're able, Lord, if you're willing, remove this cup. And so, yeah, you see a glimpse of Jesus' humanity here. In fact, if you compare Jesus here in this moment to some of the martyrs from history, you might wrongly conclude that Jesus has a low threshold for pain. Uh, I think of examples of like the guy from India who he's being skinned alive because of his faith and he, he looks straight in the eyes of his tormentor and he, he says, today, take off my outer garment for today I'll be clothed in a new garment. Or, or guys like Christopher Love, who is being led to the gallows because of his faith, and his wife is there cheering him on and saying, look, today they might sever you from your physical head, but they'll never sever you from your, your spiritual head. And he goes on singing to his death. I want to make it clear. The reason that Jesus is in agony and he's sweating blood and he's pleading to his father, it's not because he's scared of some physical pain that's coming. 
We ought never conclude that our Savior was less courageous than these martyrs that we look up to. When Jesus asks his heavenly Father to remove the cup from me, he has in mind much more than, than physical pain. What's this cup that he refers to? The cup is the cup of God's wrath. That's what the Old Testament describes. Listen to some of the description, descriptions. Jeremiah 25, starting in verse 15. Take from my hand this cup of wine of wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. They shall drink and stagger and be crazed because of the sword that I am sending among them. So I took the cup from the Lord's hand and made all the nations to whom the Lord sent me drink it. Jerusalem and the cities of Judah, its kings and its officials to make them a desolation and a waste, a hissing and a curse as at this day. Again, Psalm 75, 8. For in the hand of the Lord there's a cup with foaming wine, well mixed, and he pours out from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. See, in the garden, Jesus is peering into the cup of God's divine wrath, in which he's about to drink down to the dregs. He's about to absorb the full fury of God's wrath that we deserve. Another way to look at it is he's, he's peering into the white, hot, flaming furnace of God's wrath, and it's so hot that he's sweating blood. We can't, I don't think we can fully comprehend what's going through his mind and his heart in this moment. There's no words that appropriately describe the agony that he's going through. There's no illustration that I can give you that accurately pictures what it means to bear the world. He literally has the weight of the world on his shoulders right now. And while we can't comprehend it, we ought to wrestle with it. We ought to dwell on it. We ought to sit here for a moment and meditate on it. What does it mean for Jesus to bear our sins? Because the more we meditate on that, the more we understand the pain that he went through, the better we're going to understand passages like John 3.16. Those passages should like jump off the page to us and, and come alive. That God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. The more we understand what Jesus went through for us, the better we understand how much he loves us. And I love that Jesus gives us an example of being real with his heavenly Father. We're never going to feel the agony that Jesus went through, not fully. But we can still pour out our souls to God when we experience pain and suffering. It's good for you to be honest with God. He can handle your emotions. I love the Psalms, again. This is why I keep going back and back to them because David models with, to us what this looks like. He pours out his heart to God. I mean, the Psalm that we read earlier, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you. Psalm 32, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. David, David never holds back from God and neither should we. This is why you need that prayer garden. You need a place where you can go to be alone and just pour out your soul to him. The fourth point is, is really the heart of this passage. Jesus was submissive. 
Notice that Jesus knelt down to pray. In fact, this is the only recorded instance of Jesus kneeling to pray. Typically, when they prayed, they would be standing up, looking up into heavens, hands up, eyes opened. But here Jesus kneels down because it's an outward expression of what's going on in his heart in this moment. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. John Bloom said it this way. He says, no one understands better than Jesus how difficult it can be for a human to embrace the will of God. And no human has suffered more in embracing the will of God, the Father, than God the Son. When Jesus calls us to follow him, whatever the cost, he's not calling us to do something that he's either unwilling to do or has never done himself. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus shows us here what it looks like for us to fully embrace Romans 8.28, that for those who love God, all things work together for the good, for those who are called according to his purpose. He understood that and believed that. When you believe that, when you fully grasp that and you fully believe that promise, it empowers you to be able to pray just like Jesus, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done because you trust his will. And so when when you get sick or your, your loved one gets sick, it's right and it's good for you to pray for their healing. You can pray for a miracle. That's good. But at the end, you should humbly pray, not my will, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. When, you're, when your kids are in trouble or it just seems like your world is falling apart, it's not bad for you to pray that your circumstances change, but ultimately at the end of the day, we need to trust in the Lord's will and say, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. I trust you, Lord. Because sometimes an unanswered prayer is actually what we really need, even when we don't see it. Even Jesus experienced his Father saying no to him. In fact, your, your salvation was the result of an unanswered prayer. Well, finally, I want to point out the result of this prayer. He was focused, he was consistent, he was real, he was submissive, and the result is that he's strengthened to endure. Jesus was able to be resolved to go to the cross because he depended fully upon his father, and his father strengthened him to endure. Notice that even though his father says no to him, his request, he also sends an angel to strengthen him. Often the miracle is not that God takes away our pain or our trouble. Often it's that he helps us endure through it. That's the miracle. In fact, Jesus doesn't stop praying after his father says no to him, does he? He continues to pray. In fact, he continues to pray when he's on the cross. His last breath was a prayer. He never stops praying because the goal of his prayers were not simply to get more stuff from his heavenly father. They were to, the, the goal of his prayer was to get more of his heavenly father. 
The goal of our prayer should not to be to get more stuff from God. The goal of our prayer should be just to get more God. So here's my challenge for you this morning. Find your own prayer garden. Find a place you can get alone. Be consistent. Devote yourselves to prayer. Be watchful. Be vigilant so that you may not fail. So that you may not fall into temptation. And be submissive to God and His will, no matter what the cost. You may not understand His will all the time, but we're called to be obedient, to trust Him, that He knows better than we do. And He promises that He will strengthen you through the trials that you're going through. This passage should cause us to worship. This, this passage, passage should cause us to say, thank you, Jesus. I mean, think about it. If God the Father lets Jesus off the hook here, and he doesn't have to drink the cup of wrath, the full cup of God's wrath, we would never be able to drink the cup of communion together today or with him for all of eternity. The prayer of Jesus was rejected so that you can be accepted if you will just trust in him for your salvation. In a few minutes, we're going to be singing one of my favorite songs by Sovereign Grace. It's called Thank You, Jesus. I want you to pay attention to the lyrics. And in those lyrics, you're going to hear really the heart of today's passage. The song starts off by saying, The mystery of the cross I cannot comprehend, the agonies of Calvary. You, the perfect Holy One, crushed your son, drank the bitter cup reserved for me. Your blood was washed or has washed away my sin. Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy, now seated at your table, Jesus, thank you. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you said no to Jesus. And thank you, Jesus, that you said yes to your heavenly Father. That you said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And you were willing to drink the cup that we deserve so that we could drink this cup and be reminded of the blood that was shed, that you gave your body for us. And because of that, we can celebrate for all of eternity your glory. And I pray as we move into a time of worship, we would be mindful of what you went through us or went through for us on the cross. And it would cause our hearts to erupt in worship and say, thank you. We don't deserve this. We haven't earned this. It is only by your grace and your mercy that we are here today. And even in the midst of a, a trial and a pandemic, we can look to you and, and see that you have gone through infinitely worse trials than we will ever go through. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. 
And so we celebrate communion every single week because we know and we recognize that we need to be reminded of what Christ went through for us on the cross. And so I would encourage you, don't just walk through the motions today. This is time for us to get alone with God, confess our sins. If you're a believer, we'd encourage you to join us in this celebration. There are cups in the back. If you didn't get one before, you can go grab one uh, in the welcome area on the, on the, on the desk in, the, in there. And uh, this is a time for us to, to sacrificially give also. We've encouraged people to give online. Uh, there is a box in the back as you leave today if you've brought a check. This is also a time for if you've never trusted in Christ, God is opening up your eyes to believe that he, what he did on the cross saves you and forgives your sins. And this is a time for you to, to confess your sins to the Lord, ask for forgiveness, trust him for your salvation, and follow him as your Lord. Uh, I would love to celebrate with you. And I'm going to be in the back. If you need prayer, you just want to, to celebrate what God is doing in your life, I would love to talk to you, to pray with you. I'll be in the back. Uh, once everybody's taking communion, we're going to stand together. We're going to worship because he is worthy of our worship. And so you come as God is calling you to respond. The mystery of the cross I cannot comprehend. The agony of Calvary. Perfect Holy One crushed your Son who drank the bitter cup reserved for me. Your blood has washed away my sin. Jesus, thank you. Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy, now seated at your table. Jesus, thank you. perfect sacrifice I've been brought near your enemy you make your friend pouring out the riches of your glorious grace your mercy and your kindness knows no end your blood has washed away my sin. Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy, now seated at your table. Jesus,
my soul I want to live for you lover of my second reading is uh, from Romans 5. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Fulfill the 
God who took on flesh did all that the Father willed was humbled unto death you bore our cross of sin and shame endured our agony with gladness we now bear your name and worship at your feet you were our song from age to age our voices unite to recount your praise again and again you were our song from age to age we will proclaim your power to save again and again oh god who surely guides our steps tempest and through trials our shepherd king your way is best tears now veil our eyes your steadfast love our perfect hope we have no doubt grace we have no doubt you'll us home to finally see your face you are our song from age to age our voices unite to recount your praise again and again you are our song from age to age we will proclaim your power to save again and again oh god of all of history enthroned in realms of light what eyes of faith have strained to see will one day fill our sight with all the saints will lay our crowns before the Savior's feet and sing as all the heavens resound for all eternity you are our song from age to age our voices unite to recount your praise again worship team if you guys could have a seat real quick i just have a few announcements so uh first and foremost uh we're continuing to look for people to serve on our tech crew on sundays which is back there with uh where laura is right now 
uh, doing the slides and the soundboard. Uh, always looking for people to help back there and also to join uh, the worship team. We're always looking for people who are interested in being a part of the worship team. Uh, and so if you're interested in doing that, uh, see Wayne. He's your man to get you hooked up on that. Uh, next, OCA, um, so Orphan Care Alliance, um, Safe Harbors Training. It's coming up August 29th. It'll be right here at Mercy Hill. It goes from 9.30 a.m. to 3 p.m. Um, we're really excited um, about having uh, Orphan Care Alliance here. Uh, this is not just for our church. This training is for anyone in the community that wants to be a, a safe harbor family uh, for their organization. What's exciting, though, is they were thinking if they could get six families to come, that that would be a uh, success. But we already have four families from Mercy Hill signed up for it, which is very exciting. Uh, so tell your friends, tell your neighbors if they're interested in being um, uh, in that training. Uh, and it's not just for safe harbors. Uh, you're you're going to learn a lot from this training. Uh, you'll learn how to do respite care for the foster, uh, for their foster families. Um, also, you'll learn how to best come alongside families that are fostering or are doing this. And so it's a, a great training to go to. So that is, again, August 29th. Um, and so I'm going to leave you with our benediction that comes from Romans 12, 9 through 12. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Let, let me pray for us one more time. Father, drive us to you in prayer. Remind us how much you love us. Let us be just humbled of your mercy and grace that we would want to spend more time with you to model your son's behavior in coming to you in prayer. On our knees, Lord, that your will be done in our lives and in the community. Lord, we pray for our mission partners as they are doing the work in the communities here and abroad, whether it be Orphan Care Alliance and fostering children uh, who are in need, whether it be 20 schemes uh, across the ocean, planning gospel-centered churches in Scotland, Lord, we pray for them. We pray for Mark 12 as they continue to work towards meeting the needs of this community in Shepherdsville. Father, just be with us as we go out now into our mission field, as we witness to those around us, our friends, our family, our co-workers, and those who we meet on the street. Let us spread the gospel and the good news of your grace and mercy and how your son came and died on a cross to save us. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much. We look forward to seeing you guys at Missional Community this week or next Sunday.